blank. Always make sure that your appreciation has a target. It's helpful. And today, I'm going to provide you with everything you need to write some appreciation cards to people that it would make sense for you to want to show appreciation to. And I'm asking you to take this to heart a bit. And I'm hoping for quite a bit of compliance. <laughs> yeah, because I know that you can be like, wow, thanks so much for putting out the food at, at Life Group every week. I really appreciate it. And it's felt heartfelt. And I know I could send an email, hey, uh, thanks so much for leading music at church on Sunday, Laupi. But there's something just a little bit more about taking a minute to write that out. And I have a feeling there may be a few people in here, <coughs> husbands, who might think, oh, my wife will take care of all of this. So uh, Laura is going to hand out supplies to everyone because I want everyone to feel like they have the opportunity and the, the place to do this. Because you as a human being yourself have your own wells and fountains of gratitude. Okay, vocabulary. First off, dear blank. <laughs> then your sentences. Some people aren't like embracing the awkward like I do. And it, they get writer's block. So what are your sentences? Dear blank. I would like to thank you, or I really appreciate, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, but you're too busy handing things out, did you forget? Okay. Appreciate how you, blah, blah, blah. Um, so there's like a, a one-two hit in a good thank you card. Dear blank, I'm going to do Stephen, sorry, dear. Dear Stephen, I really appreciate how you put out the food every Wednesday for Life Group. It makes me feel cared for. So often there's a, what do you do? And how does that reflect back on you, um, the person writing the thank you card? Okay, so if you're wondering what to write, <laughs> dear blank, we're going to fill in those blanks. I appreciate, I want to show my gratitude, I want to thank you, I like Dear blank, I like how you put out the food at Bible study every week. It makes me feel... I'm, have you figured out how to be in my class yet? <laughs> you don't have to follow my pattern. I just know certain people have writer's block. So on we go. Okay. Sincerely, with love, blessings, best, yours, however you want to finish it off. But some people need sincerely. So here we go. Okay, now's where we get interactive because I would like two and a half minutes of names because now you need to know how to spell names, okay? So first off, when's the last time you thanked our pastors? I know we pay them, but, but like actually thanked them personally. <laughs> Trevor and Lalpy. Trevor's easy to spell, but Lalpy? I've seen his Christmas cards, I know. L-A-L-P-I. <laughs> Lalpy, okay? Uh... What about the person who cleans the church every week for free, right? Jay. What about the person who makes you popcorn that you all eat every week? And uh, yeah, and I could go on, like, oh my goodness. And she makes the, the communion. Think about two weeks ago. She came to church, I don't know when, like two in the morning, and she made the communion. Then she made lunch. Then she served lunch. Then she cleaned up lunch, right? Arlene. We have a leadership team. They do things. Chris, Tanya. I feel the love. You can skip me if you're feeling rushed for time. Laura. Arlene's on the leadership team. Kristen, she makes sure our bank account works. Kristen. Um, I forgot someone on our leadership team. Neil. Oh, yeah. Ryan. Ryan teaches. He's right now, he's busy teaching. Who's, um, who's teaching? Jeff? Linda? Think, and you know what? Like, it doesn't just have to be, dear Linda, thanks for teaching the kids, because I'm just trying to get spellings of names on the board. But you're probably thinking, why isn't Tanya naming this person? And doesn't that Tanya know this person does that thing? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, you're, you're welcome to help me out here. Uh, Emily? She, like, she mows the lawn. She teaches the kids in the nursery. Um, 
And everyone, I'm going to write the name of everyone here, aren't I? Jennifer. <laughs> Kirsten counts money. But, and I can't, right? It doesn't really do it. Andrea counts money. How many people want to thank Daphne for sitting and crying with them? Me. Yeah. Okay. Oh, how many of you want to thank Trudy for things that dry your hands? I do. Right? Uh, oh, Andre and Adrian do our sound every day. Andre. Adrian, not going to lie, so does Warren, my kid. Oh, Adrian, look, I can't spell your name because I'm overexcited. Warren. Phil, Phil and Laura do make you read words. They also plan retreats, right? They do the food for women's and men's retreats. Okay, tell me another person I'm missing. Because if you need... Sorry? Steve. Oh, my goodness. Steve makes you read words. And they do other things, too. Steve or Steven? Okay. Oh, oh and, and um, uh, Sophie, PH. Sophie takes care of kids. And also, she's wonderful. Zam. Zam is... Yes, yes, yes. I can spell Zam. Any more? Oh, yeah, 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 Siami. I mean, this isn't exhaustive by any way because I'm forgetting your name right there. Who's sitting beside Zam? Who's helping serve food? What's her name, Zam? Cher, right. C-H-E-R? Okay. Okay. So, let me be clear. I'm going to be clearer. I can't be clear when there's noise. Laura. She's still talking. Shh. Uh, yeah, this is what I want to be clear about, but you have to stop talking. Okay, so I know that a lot of you just sit and play on your phones while Trevor's speaking, and I believe that you're just keeping your fingers busy while listening very carefully. <laughs> just like I sit and knit, right? But you could feel inspired, and you have the spellings, and you might write during Trevor's sermon. That might happen. And if it does, you have two choices. You can deliver after the service to the person, or you can drop it in the offering basket. And I will facilitate delivery. So, and not only that, you might be feeling inspired, but you have writer's block, or you don't like multitasking, and you want to take the idea away, and you're shy and you don't want to deliver, so you bring it back next week and you throw it in the basket, and I'll still facilitate delivery. Okay, so uh, you have options, but I do want to make a couple things clear. One, the idea is that you show gratitude, not even just within City View. So if you don't know any of these people, I'm looking at our new family, hello. Um, you want to take some of these supplies and write a thank you card to someone in your life? That's nice, right? Or someone, um, you know, outside of what I've been talking about, the idea is that you share some sense of gratitude. And I can super double spiritualize this, you know, like God, God's love flowing through you, bloody who to that person, but also that that's a way that you show care for God's creation by taking care of them and by being explicit in your gratitude. That's why you don't write thank you cards that say, dear Kristen, thanks for everything you do, blah right? You say something specific. I really appreciate how you did that. And it touches people. And then there are certain people, Laura, who later on, like five years later, still have them and open them up and read them, right? And it makes your heart melt. Oh, sorry, Phil. Oh, Phil. Oh, I wrote it. Okay. Clear? Clear as mud? Good enough, Trevor? Okay, thank you for letting me take over. Over to you. Okay. Yeah. Well, Tanya, thank you to my own Adrian. I am now. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Tanya. I just wrote Tanya a card. I just. I appreciate the way that you appreciate. 
Fabulous. Excellent. Good. So glad uh, to see everyone here. Wonderful. Good to see you. Have you ever had the experience where you're expecting something, you're really, really excited about something, you're looking forward to it, and then suddenly the rug gets pulled out from under your feet. That feeling of going from full-on expectation and excitement to full-on disappointment. Well, for some of you this morning, you will experience that feeling. Some of you who have come this morning fired up. You're fired up and excited because you know what's coming in our series on 1 Timothy. You can't wait to get your teeth stuck into one of the most controversial passages in Scripture. You spent last night, some of you, sharpening your theological knives, waiting to throw them at the preacher. You're ready. You're pumped. On your marks. Get set. Well, actually, let's wait. Let me pull on that rug. Allow me to burst your balloon. We ain't going to do that passage today. But, but two weeks ago, we finished off at chapter 2, verse 10. So obviously, we start on chapter 2, verse 11, don't we? That's next, isn't it? Well, not in this church, it ain't. Monsieur, say it isn't so. Why aren't we tackling that passage today, Trevor? Are you a coward? Yes, I am. But I am, hopefully, a coward who knows his limitations. Let me explain. For those of you who have read ahead or know 1 Timothy, you will be aware that the passage I'm referring to relates to the permission or otherwise of women preaching and leading in churches and pastoring churches. A passage that has been strongly debated and argued over centuries. That passage we're not going to do today. Now, I do have strong views on it. I have preached on it before, and even if I say so myself, I think I've preached very well on it in the past. But I've spoken as a man. This passage doesn't and has not personally affected me. I can certainly speak theologically about it, but I cannot speak as someone whose whole identity worth and ministry rests on it. So, here's what I've done. I've invited someone to come and speak on this passage who can do so with a lot of integrity and a lot of wisdom. Most of you will know Ellen O'Brien. Uh, Craig O'Brien, the previous pastor here, uh, and Ellen were, were pastoring here for a long time. Now, Ellen's had a wonderful ministry over the years in both the U.S. and in Canada. And she's experienced a lot of the pain and the discrimination that's come out of this passage that we're going to look at in First Timothy. So, she's coming to speak on it. But she couldn't come today, which would have been great because then we would have gone through in, uh, in order. But she is coming on Sunday the 15th of December. Please put that in your diaries. Come and hear what Ellen has to say uh, about that. So we're going to skip on ahead in 1 Timothy and then we're going to come back to this passage. And there will be a time on that Sunday for some discussion, some question and answers as well because it's a vital topic, I believe. So there we go. So that is what we're going to do.
okay? So now that I've deflated you, some of you, I don't know, what, what are we going to do today? Well, I thought we would just pack up and go home, if that's okay. Kidding. <laughs> Kidding. The doors are locked anyway. Uh, a few years ago, at my previous church, one of the high school kids was doing a project on people's jobs, and they came to interview me, and he came to interview me, and he asked me two really important questions. First question was, did you always want to be a pastor? <laughs> I said, did I always want to be a pastor? <laughs> no. <laughs> I said, it was the furthest thing from my mind, like most boys growing up in Gravesend, here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to work the least amount of hours for the most amount of money and have the most amount of fun doing it. That was my goal. Uh, so certainly pastor wasn't going to be uh, top of that list, was it? But then he asked a follow-up question. He said, so you didn't want to be a pastor. Why did you become a pastor? Another great question, and it's a question that I often ask myself, especially as I'm sitting in that chair waiting to come up to speak to you. And it's a question that most of you ask when I eventually get to sit back down again. <laughs> Trevor, why did you become a pastor? Why do you do what you do? Frank, why were you a journalist and are now a writer? Phil, why do you play with printers and photocopiers all day? Huh? Yes, of course you don't. Andrea and Daphne, I mean, they, well, why did you get involved in the healthcare system? Why did that? Michael, why on earth did you become an accountant? <laughs> Blaming your mother, I see. It's funny, though, isn't it, how we get to do what we do. Some of us fall into it. Some of us planned for it and studied for it. For some, like Michael, it was a dream whilst in the womb. <laughs> However we got there, each of us have been called to do different things. And for some of us, we have called to be leaders. Leaders. A leader at work, maybe. A leader at home. A leader at school, a leader on the sports field, a leader among a group of friends, a leader at church. Now, being a leader in any capacity is not an easy position. Let's be honest. It's far easier to sit back and follow. Far easier. Being a leader carries a whole load of responsibility. Not just for yourselves, but for those you lead. It's a tough role. But it's a really important role. Think about it. A good leader can transform a workplace and energize those under her. But a bad leader makes you want to stay in bed and not bother to go to work that day. So I guess a question worth asking is, what makes a good leader? What qualifies you to be a leader? Well, I'm glad it's a question worth asking. Because that is what we're going to answer in today's passage in 1 Timothy. We had a break last week because of the dedication uh, but you remember that this letter, it's written by the older apostle Paul to the young, struggling pastor, Timothy. And it was mainly to encourage him because Timothy wanted out. He didn't want to be a leader anymore. He didn't want to be a pastor anymore uh, in Ephesus. He wanted out. The church was in a mess. There were squabbles, fights, false teaching, meaningless conspiracy theories, Victoria's Secret fashion shows on Sunday mornings. It was all happening in Ephesus. It was all going on. And Paul writes to help Timothy and the church 
to do church well, to be church well. And one of the ways to do church well is to have good leaders. And this is what Paul says about leaders. If you've got a Bible, you can follow it along with me. There's a lot here today. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 13. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. We'll get to that. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment of the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he'll not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, are to be men and women worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must, hold, uh, they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, uh, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. We'll stop there. There's a whole load of stuff in this passage, and I'm going to get through it as quickly as I can, but bear with me, gird your loins, there's coffee at the back, that will keep you going. Um, here's what I want to do the rest of the time together. I want to go through the passage, and I want to see what Paul says about leaders, who should be a leader, and what qualities a leader should have. And then I want to end by saying a couple of things that we can do to help our leaders one of which is encouragement, as uh, Tanya um, was talking about. Now, here's one thing to bear in mind as we go through the passage. Obviously, Paul wrote uh, this about leaders to a specific church at a specific time 2,000 years ago. But I believe that this passage has universal truths and guidelines that not only relate to church settings but actually any setting where there's a leader. So in your workplace, in your home, in the sports field, at school, these guidelines and qualities, I think, relate to those as well. Um, so as we go through it, it might be good for you to think about if you're a leader, how do I measure up here? Or how do my leaders measure up to this? Okay, so we go through. Let me start by explaining that the leaders that Paul's referring to here, he talks of overseers and of deacons. Now, I don't want to get into the merits or otherwise of church structure or the names, the various names that churches use for their leaders. I don't think it's actually that important. But suffice to say that when Paul uses the title overseer, he's actually talking about pastors or elders. And when he writes about deacons, he's talking about deacons. Or in our particular case here at City View, our uh, support leadership team, our SLT. The main difference between elders and pastors and deacons in Scripture is that the elder or the pastor has more of a spiritual oversight of the church and makes sure that the community is unified and heading in in the same direction, the right direction. And the deacons, they tend to take care of more of the day-to-day -day, uh, running uh, of the church, making decisions on administration, the building, practical matters like that. So they're the differences that we see. But I think 
Paul isn't talking so much about structure here. He's talking about the qualities of leaders in general. Okay. So this church, it's in a mess. Ephesus is in a mess. And Paul says to Timothy, find some good leaders. What type? Well, surely the ones who are going to go in there with all guns blazing to sort it out. The big, strong, loud ones. The ones that are going to rally the troops. You know, with the slogan, make Ephesus great again. (laughs) With the meager hats uh, on their heads, holding big rallies, bullying others to get their way. That's what this church needs. Yes! No. No. Here's what Paul says are the qualifications and qualities of a good leader. Here's what the women and men are meant to be and look like as Christ-centered, Christ-empowered leaders. And as we go through this, interesting to see how different these qualities are to some of the leaders we see around the world today. Okay, first one. Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer deserves a noble noble task. Okay, a couple of things here. A person, Paul says, needs to aspire and desire this particular office in leadership. They have to want it. Peter in one of his letters, puts it a different way when he says, those serving in office should not serve under compulsion. You can't sort of uh, press gang people into leadership if they have no desire for it at all. Uh, So it's okay to aspire to leadership within the church and elsewhere, but be careful to make sure it's for the right reason. What are your motives? Are you looking to serve or do you want some of the limelight? Do I want to be a pastor at City View just for the perks (laughs) that go with leading a church? Such as... um, Such as... I know... The stapler with my name on it in my office. (laughs) Or the biggie. The biggie is the key to the pastor's toilet. (laughs) Do I do the job for that? That's the question you have to ask. The second thing to point out is that even if you aspire to leadership, I want to be a leader... It doesn't mean to say that you qualify to be a leader. I've mentioned before that I aspire to be Michael Buble. I desire to be Michael Buble. I dream of being Michael Buble. But it ain't going to happen because I'm not qualified. The only thing I have in common with Michael Buble is that I'm a male. I can't sing. I'm not as pretty as him, and I'm certainly not as rich as him. You see, we have to be careful when we choose leaders in the church and actually elsewhere. You know, you see what happens is you see a gap. We need a leader there. And you're running around, we need a pastor there. What what are we going to, oh, tell you what, Steve, you'll do. You've got a a couple of the qualities, and, and you're breathing, so that helps. (laughs) but no what if Steve isn't qualified to be a leader you see what happens is we try to fit people in the leadership roles which may actually help in the short term but actually causes more problems in the long term leadership's too important to throw any Jane Dick or Harriet at a vacancy if there isn't a suitable leader well Maybe you should allow it to run without a leader or not to run at all. 
rather than put someone in there. Okay, that's verse 1. There's loads in the next few verses. I'm going to rush through them. Verse 2. Oh, yeah, that's a leader must, what is to be above reproach. What does that mean? Oh, lightning. Well, basically, this is an umbrella statement which suggests that the leaders be free from any major character flaw that may lead to a discrediting of their message. In this case, the discrediting of Jesus Christ and his gospel. You don't want someone who has this huge flaw. Does it mean that you have to be perfect? Thank God, no. That's not what Paul's saying. It basically just means a consistency of character, of good character. Paul also says that a leader must be the husband of one wife. Okay, I'm going to say this outright. It also should say and could say the wife of one husband. Why does Paul say this? A lot of debate. Some believe, is that going, what am I, is that a voice from heaven? What did I, see, like I, I put my, dip my toe into the gender debate, and, and I get this, anyway, where were we? Why did Paul say this? Why did he say it? Well, some believe that uh, you can only be a leader if you're married. Obviously not true because Paul wasn't married and he, he was a leader. And so I believe was Jesus. <laughs> Some believe that Paul is talking about polygamy, which was going on big time still at this time. Uh, you know, so you'd have wife number one, wife number two, wife number three. Uh, or maybe for those who were divorced. However, I, the actual translation is nearer to... You must be a one-woman man or a one-man woman. You need to be faithful to your wife or husband and only have eyes for him or her. That's basically what Paul's saying. says one of the qualifications of a leader is that he or she shouldn't be a womanizer or a man-eater. There's a thing for leaders. Why does Paul have to say this? Why does, why does he have the need to say this? Well, because I think he knows the temptations that can come the way of leaders. You see, when you're a leader, people trust you more. And they can be easily manipulated by you because of your authority. Also, leadership and the perceived authority that comes with that position is definitely an aphrodisiac to some people. Some men are attracted to the powerful woman and vice versa. And that can cause problems. And Paul's recognizing that. So he's saying, as a leader, this is what you need to do. Okay, let's move on. That was a difficult one. Temperate, what does that mean? Uh, it means well-balanced, clear-headed. Well, that's good for me. I'm very clear-headed. There's absolutely nothing up there at all. <laughs> self-control. Uh, self-control. Well, this speaks of needing to be in control of your emotions so that you don't make decisions that are just based on mood swings. You know, some people are like that. For me as a pastor, if I'm in a good mood, my sermons are light and fluffy and everyone's going to heaven. Or if I've had a row with the wife, you know, it's all about hell and damnation and you're going to burn. And it's the same with other leadership positions. You act and make decisions not out of an emotional outburst. Respectable. What does that mean? Well, it speaks to proper behavior, basically, virtue. Uh, how you conduct yourself. You need to conduct yourself respectably. Hospitable. What does that mean? Well, it means being open and loving to all, including the stranger. So you treat 
everyone, as a leader, the same. Whereas my dad used to tell me, everybody, no matter who they are, sits on the toilet. And as I think I've said to you before, he didn't use the word sit. But, um, so you treat everyone the same. The same. You're hospitable to everyone. Uh, teach. It says here, leaders need to be able and willing to teach. All leaders need to be able to convey their message in order to bring understanding to those they lead. Think about your own situation. But they also need to build up and inspire people. You see this in the workplace and at home and in sport, but this is particularly important in the church for those who lead in the church. Leaders in the church need to have a grasp of Scripture. Has to. Has to. They need to understand sound doctrine. Leaders need to be able to present the gospel in a clear, relevant way without leading people astray. People ask me, they say, are you nervous when you get up to speak? And yeah, I'm really nervous every time. I'm not nervous to stand up and speak in front of a crowd. That, that, that's, not a, that's not a problem. But I'm scared stiff about teaching the Word of God. Absolutely scared stiff. Because what, what if I get it wrong? I have to stand before the Lord one day. And you'll be able to say to him, not my fault, Lord, it was, it was his fault. He told us. That's why I'm scared stiff. So we have to, the word is a precious thing. We, it's like someone with a precious, priceless vase. We've got to handle it carefully. So if any of you lead in churches, if you lead Bible studies, if you teach our kids, you need to study it. You need to teach it well. You need to teach it well. Okay, where did we get to? Verse 3, not given to drunkenness. Now here is what Paul is not saying. He's not saying that leaders cannot have a beer. Praise the Lord. It's okay. It's okay. He says later on in this letter, if you remember, that Timothy needs to have a little Australian Shiraz to help toughen up his tummy. He's got a bit of a funny tummy. What Paul's saying is don't be a dick. Don't be a drunkard. Then he says, leaders, not violent. Don't be bad-tempered and out of control. Don't model your ministry on Mr. Angry. And leaders, this doesn't just mean physical violence. It means verbal violence as well. We've all come across leaders who bully, haven't we? Leaders who get their way by intimidation. I had a boss like that in my previous life. And they exist in the workplace. They do. Unfortunately, they exist in churches as well, which is incredibly sad. There is no place in God's kingdom or his church or in leaders who purport to follow Jesus and they're angry. Paul says, instead, be gentle. Deal with things calmly, especially when it comes to those who are hurting, especially in churches. You know, like, pull, it, pull yourself together, you fool, isn't maybe the best way to handle certain situations. So you've got to handle them gently. Not quarrelsome. So one who seeks peace and unity, and this was so badly needed in this church in Ephesus. If you remember, everyone's arguing with one another. They needed leaders who could cut through all the posturing and intellectual thuggery and find common ground for unity. Does this mean that a leader cannot argue? No. But don't quarrel just to quarrel over unimportant things. So find unity and peace. Next one. Leader should not be a lover of money. Well, if you work in ministry, that's a given. Praise the Lord. 
church leaders who go around talking about this prosperity gospel in their Armani suits, private jets, garage full of cars. They're exactly the false teachers that Paul was talking about. They and their message has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Verse 4 to 5, they must manage their own family well and see that their children obey them and they must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Okay, does this mean that a leader, that to be a leader your kids have to be perfect? Thankfully, no. Praise the Lord, although mine are. (laughs) But I think Paul is saying here is that your house needs to be in some sort of order. There needs to be some direction, some stability, some leadership. Because if you can't lead your own family, then it's very difficult to lead God's family. That's what he's saying. Verse 6 says, uh, it must not be a recent convert. So he didn't give a time scale. When you've been a Christian 10 years, you can become a leader. And he doesn't say that. But a new convert means, you know, the person who hasn't been around the block, you know, doesn't enough to grow in maturity in the faith or as leaders. Now, he's not talking about age. doesn't mean to say that you can't be a leader at 15. But he's saying that there's a danger in new converts because they could get puffed up with their own importance, become conceited and, and be led astray. They must also have a good reputation with outsiders. You see, a leader, especially in the church, has to be respected by people outside the church. People you work with, socialize with, your wider family. If people think that you're a mean boss at work, then you're not being a great example to Jesus to them. If I'm rude to the folk in Starbucks and demand my coffee and they turn up here on a Sunday morning and see that I pastor a church, I'm not a great witness to the gospel. One of the worst things a leader in the church can be called is a hypocrite. People outside the church may not agree with your views, but they need to respect you. The rest of the chapter, this goes up to verse 6 but, or 7 or whatever, but the rest of the chapter deals mainly with deacons. Um, And the same or similar criteria is given. He just sort of repeats himself. So I'm not going to go through all of that. So Paul lays down the qualifications, this list of qualifications to be leaders in the church. Having gone down that list, hands up those of you who qualify to be leaders. Where's your hand going, Philip? You know what, as, as I was doing this again, I've read through this passage a number of times. I go through it, and my first reaction is to slump to my knees and ask God for his mercy. And in lots of ways, that's the right reaction. If you're a leader or an inspiring uh, leader, you should be thinking, I'm not like that all the time. But here's the thing, if God is calling you into leadership, he'll equip you. He'll give you the strength you need in order to lead. Our posture as leaders must always be less of me and more of him. That's the place for leaders to be, is on their knees. Okay, let me finish. Three quick ways of how... We as a church can support our leaders, or you in the workplace can support your leaders. Three things. Pray. Pray regularly for your leaders. Have you ever prayed for your manager at work? Have you ever prayed for the manager that you don't like at work? (laughs) Well... Yes, exactly. But we're called to pray for our leaders, whether we like them or not. 
and pray for your leaders in the church. All of these people here. You see, the demands are great. The qualifications are high. And so we as leaders need you to intercede for us. We need, to pr- need you to pray for God's strength, for his courage, for his purity of character, so that we won't fall into to the enemy's traps. Desperately, desperately need you to pray. Have a dear old friend, Bruce Milne, who was pastor at First Baptist Church for many, many years. And I know on a Sunday morning he has a list of pastors that he prays for. Every Sunday, he's in his 80s now, every Sunday morning I know because he's told me that my name is on that list. Isn't that lovely? I don't want to put you on the spot. How many of you pray for me before I preach? I need it. I need it. Desperately. More than you know. Second thing we can do is encourage. As Tanya so brilliantly said, leadership, especially leadership in the church, can be a really lonely place. And it can be a scary job at times. It can and does drain us of energy and enthusiasm. It can leave us feeling discouraged, unappreciated, and unworthy. This is me being honest. One of the major problems with me and leaders is that they feel as though they, don't, they, they always need to have everything together put on this strong persona because you don't want to show weakness as a leader. But let me tell you, we don't have everything together. We need help. We need encouragement. Encourage your leaders. Thank them. Support them. Do something practical for them. It means a lot. And so that's why I appreciate Tanya for wanting to appreciate it's a huge thing. Thank you. Third thing, last thing, is we need to hold our leaders accountable. Now that sounds the opposite of encouragement. (laughs) But actually it's the, the same thing really. The role of a leader in the church is not to be taken lightly. And we don't want to fall into the traps that Paul has talked about here. We must be made aware of it. Take interest in your leaders, in your managers at work, the people that oversee you. Take a notice, notice in them. Take an interest in them. Don't assume that, oh, they're okay, they're leaders, they're fine. No, check in. Check in. How are you doing? No, 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 no. How are you really doing? That's what we should be doing. Oh, wow, so much there. I went through it so quickly. I'm sorry. But you know what? Leadership isn't to be taken lightly. It carries huge responsibilities. It's not easy. The list of what makes a good leader is long and difficult. But we have a supreme example of what leadership is all about. Jesus, the one who came not as a leader to bully or coerce, not as one to seek the limelight, not as one to hold big rallies and reap the rewards, but as a leader to serve and to sacrifice and to love. If you're a leader here this morning, look to Jesus. That's how you lead. Seek him. Seek his wisdom. Seek his power as you lead your people. Let's pray.
I'm going to ask you, and this might be all of you, <clears throat> if you are a leader, consider yourself a leader at home or at work or at school or at church or whatever, I'm going to ask you to stand. You know who you are. If you are a leader of some sort, if you see that as being part of what you're called to do, okay. I'm going to ask Tanya to pray, and then I'll pray. Can you pray for us really loudly? Father, I thank you for the people that are standing. Lord, I thank you that you've called them to be leaders in their various spheres of influence. Father, would you uh, anoint them with your Holy Spirit? Father, would you come and give them your wisdom, your peace? Father, and this whole long list of things, Lord, that, that is good leadership, would you instill in us those things? Not that they come maybe naturally to us, but Lord, but they come supernaturally because of your uh, Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray for those of us who serve under leaders. Father, I pray that as we go into work this coming week and those above us, Lord, would you give us a new insight into them? Would you help us to encourage them, Lord, and to, um, to help them be the leaders that you've called them to be as well. So, Father, I pray that you'd give us grace and mercy and forgiveness to do that. Thank you, Father, that, uh, that Jesus is the example of leadership to us. Help us keep our eyes fixed on him as we lead others. In Jesus' name.